On this episode of Things That Matter, I'm talking to Sean McDowell about all things apologetics, so stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Things That Matter. I'm your host, Brian Broderson, and it is great to be with you today. And I'm really excited about having my friend Sean McDowell here in the studio. Sean, thanks for being here. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Sean is a professor at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University, a professor of apologetics. And so we're going to pretty much be talking about all things apologetics here Good. for the next few minutes. So, Sean, um, Let's start with just a little bit of your story. Um, of course, you have a famous father, and in some ways, you've you've kind of followed in your dad's footsteps, really, yeah. haven't you? So, mm -hmm. so tell us about growing up um, as the son of Josh McDowell. Sure, I remember I had a chance to be interviewed in college for this teen magazine, and somebody said to me that the interviewer said, "Hey, what was it like having Josh McDowell, like this professional counselor and apologist?" Anytime you had questions or issues, you'd go right at Tim. And I kind of laughed. I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't and didn't see my dad through the lens of yeah. like the public persona. He's my dad. That's right. And I look at him like anybody else sees their dad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with that said, my dad is Josh McDowell. And that comes with expectations and personality and a certain lifestyle. Yeah. The older I get, I'm more grateful mm -hmm. for just the, the integrity which my dad has lived his life, the consistency the opportunities it's given me. Yeah. My parents never pressured me to go into ministry or do the things that I'm doing now. Uh, for years, I thought I was gonna coach basketball and maybe teach high school. Thought about being a youth pastor. Thought about going into politics for a small season. Glad I didn't go that <laughs> route. But the narrative I remember was just, use the gifts God has given you yeah. for the kingdom, whatever that looks like. And there's no pressure or expectation. So I think that kind of freed me up at the point when I was in college and grad school, I started getting speaking opportunities, really started to ask, what do I want to do with my life? Yeah. What's the best investment of my life? Mm -hmm. To really say, you know what, my parents just want me to be whatever God has made me to be. Now with that said, there was pressure I probably put on myself. Mm -hmm. When I got invited to speak, one of the first times someone goes, and welcome, Josh McDowell. And I was like, oh my goodness, can I deal with this pressure? Because my dad's so well known. Yeah. And so I had to work through and become comfortable and confident in the person God has made me to be, yeah. what my unique message is. Yeah. But the older I get and have my own kids, I'm just thankful for the space my parents gave me, mm -hmm. but the very intentional mm -hmm. cultivation of a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you, did you have a pretty consistent kind of walk with the Lord from, from the time you were a kid? Did you ever have a, a season where you just went off and decided, I, I gotta go figure it out for myself? Or yeah, how was that for you? I, so I never had the angry, rebellious stage. Yeah. I just wasn't. Some it's my personality, I'm not that way. And also my parents worked so hard to build a relationship with me that I just, I don't know, I just wasn't angry at God or angry at the world. But in college, interestingly enough, I did have a period, this is like mid 90s, and I got online and started fishing around when kind of people first got email addresses. There wasn't Google yet, but you could search and see blogs. And I found that this kind of atheist secular web actually began in large part 
taking my dad's book, Evidence Demands a Verdict, and chapter by chapter, mm -hmm. dissecting it, philosophers, lawyers, doctors, scientists. Wow. And I look back now, and I don't think their arguments were very good, but as a 19-year-old, it was pretty unsettling. I remember thinking, I know my parents mean well, I know my dad's smart, but what if he's wrong? Yeah. And I remember feeling that. It wasn't just an intellectual yeah. game. I remember laying at night going, whoa, what if there's no God? Or what if I go a different route? Like I, I kind of felt yeah. that. And I had a conversation with my dad in Breckenridge, Colorado, and I just said, Dad, I, I wanna know it's true, but I don't know that I'm convinced Christianity is really true. And my dad looked at me, he goes, son, I think that's great. And I remember looking at him going, like, did you hear what I just said? Yeah. And partly my dad's just the consummate optimist. But he goes, look, I've raised you above owls to love and seek and follow truth wherever it leads. If you, I'm confident if you follow truth, you'll be led to Jesus. You can't live on my convictions. Yeah. He said, only walk away from what you've learned if you really think it's not true. Mm. And your mom and I will love you no matter what. I don't think I ever rejected it. People on the mm. outside, that I wasn't in conversation with probably didn't see that there was this huge change going on, but I was just giving myself permission to read different sides and ask, is this yeah. true? And try to find out if this is something I could really bank my life on and something yeah. that made sense. Yeah, and everybody has to have that moment, you know, really. I mean, I, I, you know, of course, I'm a parent myself and have raised four kids and now I have, you know, grandkids and, mm -hmm. but I talk to people all the time and, and understandably, every parent who's a believer kind of goes into a bit of a crisis when their children start questioning, you know. And, and then sometimes, you know, they go beyond questioning, That's right? That's right. They it does go happen. Go into a, to a downright rebellion. And yet, um, even from my own experience, what I saw God do with my kids, I mm -hmm. just say to parents, like, you know, I get it, but just calm down, hmm. pray, love them. Because they they have to find their own way, they have to meet Jesus themselves. You know, that's right. I mean, we that's really right. want them to just get it from us. You that's know? right. We want to save them the pain. Yeah, yeah. And you're a dad now with <laughs> with kids that are growing yeah. up, right? Yeah. Yeah, three kids. Yeah. I'll tell you something that's interesting, Brian. Is I asked my dad years after this. I said, "Come on, what were you really feeling <laughs> when I said this to you?" He goes, "I was really confident. Mm. Number one, because Christianity's true." We have nothing to be afraid of by someone who seeks yeah. truth. He said, but more importantly, the depth of relationship that you and I had. Mm, yeah. And I'll never forget that. I thought, wow, truth in relationships yeah. is the most powerful formula, yeah. so to speak. Doesn't guarantee the outcomes. Yeah. But no matter what decisions our kids make, if we train them, if we really love them, yeah. and we don't freak out, like you said, I think we there's a confidence we could rest in yeah that God's pleased with our yeah. efforts. Yeah, yeah. so evidence that demands a verdict. So I kind of cut my teeth on mm. that book and um, more than a carpenter, you know, um, I, I remember hours of, you know, reading through and studying wow. and listening to, uh, you know, like the taped version. The, the your, dad, your dad would speak somewhere, <laughs> you know, and they would record it. And um, what a tremendous resource, you mm -hmm. know, that had been over the years. And then I discovered just not too long ago um, that there's there's kind of an updated version with you and your dad, 
you guys kind of combined your efforts to mm -hmm. put out a new, kind of a new version, right? Yeah, this, this was a big deal because my dad's most well-known, probably for more than a carpenter, and evidence demands a verdict. Everywhere I go, I hear stories like this, and people yep. always say to me, I'm sure you've heard this, and they share the story, I never get tired of it. It's yeah. humbling to me to see how God has used my dad. I mean, I love hearing yeah. that you share that story. So when it came up, the last version was 1999, mm -hmm. and my dad and I started having conversations, let's update this book. Yeah. There was a sense of like, wow, there's a big responsibility to get this right, because yeah. a lot of people consider evidence a reliable source and it's trustworthy. And now with mobile technology, more people are going to dissect it and try yeah. to just critique it that they did, you know, didn't sure. so much in yeah. the past. Yeah. And so many issues have changed. Yeah. Moral issues have changed, new challenges to the Bible, culture mm -hmm. has changed. So we just talked and thought, you know what? I'm at a point with where I'm a professor, I've studied, written on my own. My dad's obviously established himself. If the two of us came together as father and son and did this together, I think you'd be special on that relational side yeah. and kind of launch it for a new generation. Yeah. That was the goal. Yeah. So what, what's it been, about a year or maybe a it little more? It came out just shy of a year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how's the, how's the response been to it? The response has been amazing. We've yeah. sold, uh, I don't even know specific numbers, mm -hmm. but the publisher is already, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth printing. Yeah. The publisher keeps emailing us going, look, it's selling more than yeah. we thought. Yeah. In fact, I would say probably at least three times the amount the publisher expected yeah. it's sold. In fact, a really cool yeah. thing is I asked my dad, what's the difference in the evidence now versus when you started to disprove Christianity? He was an agnostic trying to disprove it over five, six decades ago. And he said to me, he said, there's a tsunami of evidence, yeah. which is a cool perspective to have. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, I'm gonna write an article for my dad call it there's a tsunami of evidence for the Christian faith. Send it to Fox News. It goes viral and evidence launch into, launches into number 16 on all books on Amazon for small season, which tells me yeah. there still is a hunger for truth. Yeah. There's a hunger for evidence if we package it the right way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you guys did a good job. And I, I've, you know, I've been slowly making my way through it because it is a relatively thick, Slow is good. If yeah. you try to rush through it, it'll, have, yeah. it'll probably fall yeah, out but the other I really, side. <laughs> I really did appreciate um, the freshness to it and, mm. you know, your contribution, you know, like you said. Um, apologetics, you know, when I was in, you know, getting in ministry in the early 80s, uh, it's, a, it's a different world today. It is. It's such a different world. And so I think the combination of that, that foundational stuff that's always going to be helpful, you know, the stuff that your dad did all those years ago, and then the combination with the, the more current, and, and you know, like you said, I mean, a lot of the issues are even different today mm -hmm. than they were back then, mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes I, I will talk to some apologists and they, they kind of seem to just be a little bit stuck in a previous generation of yeah. apologetics, you know, and you realize, okay, oh, that was really good in the 80s and 90s, but <laughs> it's a different world. That's, that's easy to do. Yeah. It's yeah. really easy to do. Yeah. So. Sitting in front of us, we've got The Evidence That Demands a Verdict book, but we've also got a book that you wrote mm -hmm. yourself called A New Kind of Apologist. So what does that mean? So you might think about it this way. Evidence is the content, the truth, the evidence of what we believe. Yeah. The book, The New Kind of Apologist, is how do we communicate this in our current cultural moment yeah. where things have changed? So I, 
I was a communication major as an undergrad. And simply put, they talk about the medium and the message. Yeah. The medium, the way we communicate, the message, the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think Christians err by saying, I just gotta deliver truth. Yeah. It doesn't matter, I'm God's prophet, I'm speaking truth. Or they err on the other side and say, maybe the loving thing to do yeah. is to compromise and change biblical truth. Yeah. Both of those are a mistake. So a new kind of apologist is basically saying, what are the questions people are asking today? Yeah. How do we most effectively communicate in this culture? What does it look like to do to articulate the gospel and do apologetics? And our culture that seems more divided, more vitriolic, more relational broken, than it's at least been in my lifetime. You know, that's that's one of the things I've really appreciated about you, honestly, is your you know, you've you've the information is is solid, obviously, but the the presentation is is good, and mm. I've really um, enjoyed listening to you. Whether it's your podcast, think biblically, <laughs> you got it. Right. I finally got good it right. <laughs> <laughs> or um, you know, we did a conference together a while back, and you came, yeah. and we did a panel, and I really liked even when you told the story because we the the panel kind of dealt mostly with same sex issues, right? And we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, Matthew Vines and his gay Christian book and your interaction, you know, with him on that. And I just really appreciated the way you communicated with him, the way you communicated just to the general public about your, you know, your convictions on that. That is so important today, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I, the, the way I love to put it, and I wish I had come up with this, is... I teach at bio and our president, Barry Corey, says we need to be firm in the center and soft on the edges. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful metaphor. Like there are certain truths you and I know we can't compromise yeah. and be faithful to the gospel. Right. But this is such a hurt culture. It's so divided. How do we communicate in a way that's healing, that's kind, that shows graciousness with other people? Yeah without compromising that truth. And I think it's those voices that people in our world don't know what to do with. Because they're used to everybody yelling, saying things provocative to get hits. If somebody just looks and says, I care about you as a human being, I really believe this, even if you think it's nuts, but I'm gonna treat you with love? Man, that's just powerful. And you know, sometimes I I think that sometimes, even as Christians, I think we think that we're supposed to kind of be mad, you know, we're, we're to be mad at all this sin, <laughs> you know, we're to, and we feel like, you know, you know, God's mad at you, and I'm here to tell you that God's mad at you, and I mean, that just doesn't really fly. It doesn't really get you anywhere, does it? Not only does it not fly, I think it's even more destructive to the faith. Yeah. Because we live in a time where some of the biggest objections, Generation Z, those say seven through college students, elementary to college students, millennials are gone, is Generation Z. Yeah. The big objections or problems they have are the problem of evil, mm-hmm. the so-called conflict between science and faith, mm-hmm. Christian hypocrisy, and the bad things that Christians have done. Yeah. So their leading objections are not the resurrection didn't happen or Jesus is not God. As important as those are, yeah. there's leading moral questions, there's emotional hurt, yeah. and it's when we address those, we can take young people to the questions that matter most. So, yeah. so many of them have a bad theology, like yeah. God hates me. Christians are judgmental, they're yeah. bigoted. So they won't even consider that it's true yeah. because they think Christianity by itself yeah. is bigoted. So when we show this 
gracious side of God and this loving Heavenly Father without compromising truth, yeah. it helps make the Christian message appropriately powerful and yeah. attractive yeah. to this generation. Yeah, you know, you did a podcast a while back on Generation Z, and I listened to that podcast, and you know, because you, you hear this stuff like, you know, every one of these generations, whether it was Gen X back in the day or the millennials or now Generation Z, you know, that kind of the impression that's given is like they're unreachable. You know, nobody's <laughs> right, ever been like right. them before. You know, you know, you're, you're never going to reach them. And I really liked um, what you guys did on that podcast. And the thing that was great, what I took away from it was, you know, love these kids. Be a, be a friend to them. You know, show them that you care. And within that context, you will have opportunities to communicate the truth to them. Amen. And I loved it. You know, I have a 17-year-old grandson. I have an 11-year-old grandson. I have an 8-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 4-year-old granddaughter. Wow. You know, and I'm looking at them. And, uh, you know, and they're, they're great kids. And the older ones, um, you know, they live in New York City. They go to public school, you know. It's kind of crazy, and I'm always, of course, as a grandpa, would worried about them and their <laughs> spiritual state. That's good. But you know, I have such a great relationship with them, and they just, you know, they love me. Of course, they know I'm a pastor. They respect all of that, sure. you know. And I just see, even with them, I see how the relationship is really the bond. That's you right. Know? And my my oldest grandson, who's 17, you know, he'll just ask me some pretty hard questions. But the fact that he asked me, you know, he's like, I, he wants to know what I think about those mm. things and he'll process it and we'll talk about it. And yeah, but it, but it, anyway, going back to the podcast, I just, I walked away thinking, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of simple in one way, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's we just don't. do what Jesus did. You know, he came, <laughs> he loved people and he told them the truth in love. He did. Right. I, I'm actually, interesting enough, working on a book on Generation Z right now. So I've been steeped in this research. Yeah. And I frame it by saying two things to parents, grandparents, teachers. Number one, there are some unique things about this generation, mm -hmm. but we have far more in common with them yeah. than we do differences. Yeah. We wanna be known. We wanna live good lives that matter. Mm -hmm. We wanna enjoy our lives. We wanna know the truth. We have far more in common than we do differences. And then second, build relationships with this generation. Now, how we see this generation shapes how we relate to them and build relationships. So in a talk I give on Gen Z, I'll ask adults, I'll say, give me some words to describe this generation. And usually they'll say apathetic, entitled, disconnected, and they'll give these negative terms. <laughs> and then I say, okay, let me ask you another question. Were most of the words positive or were they negative? Yeah. And Brian, it's like, they look at me like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I say the lens through which we see this generation shapes how we relate to them. Yeah. So yes, there's issues of concern. Yes, yeah. they're more progressive on certain ethical issues, bothered about that. Yes, there's some disconnection when it comes to social yeah. media. Yeah. But this is a generation, their hearts are to be called the beloved. 46% yeah. say they're open to following evidence. Mm -hmm. And when a relationship, like a parent or grandparent, steps in and says, yeah. I care about you, yeah. that is the opportunity yeah. to have influence. Yeah, and if you're, if you're thinking about them with those negative kinds of terms, whether you're even verbalizing it, it's gonna come through. Exactly. You know? And, and exactly. they pick up on that. Right? Because this generation values authenticity yeah. 
and they look for it because they've had so many messages coming at them. They can spot, oh, that's fake. We were watching a show and my daughter who's 11 is like, wait, that didn't really happen. I can see the technology. Like they look for that. Yeah. So when somebody's real the way I know you are with your grandson, yeah. that's like refreshing to this generation. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. So as a pastor, I say this when I'm sharing, you know, maybe at a conference or, you know, speaking to pastors, it is, it is absolutely essential pastorally these days, you have to be somewhat of an apologist. You cannot just leave that to the professionals. In a, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, we've, we've already talked about evidence that demands a verdict. I, I really think if every pastor just made their way through that book, that would be tremendously helpful. Mm -hmm. But when you, as you inter, uh, interact with guys in pastoral ministry, uh, do you feel like guys understand the need for apologetics? I think it's growing, and I think more people are getting it, but there's a few reasons some people resist it. Number one, they still have this 80s model that yeah. it's us against them, maybe they have a bad experience. Number two, it can feel daunting and overwhelming. Yeah. Yes, that is true. It, like that book, it's big, it's <laughs> yeah. easy to go, I'll just let someone else do it. Yeah. You know, and some of the other reasons are pastors are busy and yeah. they have to know and do everything. Yeah. So I wanna say pastors, you don't have to be the expert on this. Yeah. You don't, you can do your homework. Yeah. And I would say do a couple things. Number one is at least do some kind of apologetic series, whether it's Wednesday night yeah. from the pulpit, because what you say is important. You create a culture where yeah. apologetics matters. Yeah. But also one of the powers of evidence is in the Old Testament section, we start with historical Adam yeah. through the patriarchs, yes. the yeah. Exodus. Yeah. When you're preaching on those, you could simply open it up to it and talk about Abraham and say, by the way, we found this gate, here's an image of it, yeah. from the time of Abraham, from the Exodus. And what this does is, because our culture compartmentalizes spiritual faith from what we think is true, yeah. this says to people, these aren't just myths, yeah. these aren't ancient stories. Yeah. This is real, and we don't have to be afraid of the yeah. facts. So just, I, if pastors would yeah. weave in appropriate kind of apologetic truths, yeah it would change the confidence that yeah. people have in their faith. Yeah. And, so, and I think sometimes the argument is like, well, you know, that's like just all about intellectual stuff and you know, we, we don't really need to go there. But as you know, and as has been said, and I think it's really accurate, ap apologetics is the removal of, of like the rubble. It's clearing mm. a path so people can actually get to the truth and think about it. Because some people can't even go there because they've got this, uh, this blockage right. in front of them. You know, it's like, well, if, if I think there's absolutely no basis to believe that the Bible is God's word, what am I gonna read the Bible for? So there's two ways to think about this. For non-believers who happen to come to your church, when you say, hey, we're talking about this story, but I don't know if you've ever read the story, there's actually reason to think Abraham existed. Yeah and that he went to this place and it's really true. Like that thought to somebody might yeah. be different than how they think about yeah. religion. So it's removing barriers, but yeah. for Christians, it's giving confidence that it's true yeah. Yeah. to live it out, to share their faith, yeah. to apply their faith to the way they live their life. So I think it has a function. We have, my dad actually originally wrote evidence for the church, yeah. for Christians, right, right, yeah, yeah. although a ton of skeptics and yeah. a ton of non-believers have read it. That's actually who we first wrote yeah. it for. The average Christian also in today's culture really needs to be able to, to be able to answer a couple of questions, <laughs> right? I, I think so. So you did, you did something a while back where you put, you put it up online and it was like seven points or 10 points or what was that? Was it on um, 
Was it on same-sex issues or something like that? that oh, you did gosh, something? I have. I put stuff online all the okay. time. I, don't, I, yeah. I do stuff on how we know the Bible's true. Right. I do post on issues of relationships and sexuality. Yeah. yeah. So how do, how do people access that stuff uh, online? Well, my website is just seanmcdowell.org. Yeah. And I post probably two or three times a week just apologetic worldview, yeah. cultural issues. Yeah. I follow you on Twitter, and so a lot of times you'll have you know, three points on the resurrection or seven points on this. And those are good little things, you know, yep. because they're, they're relatively brief, they're to the point, and um, they're helpful. Well, I'm very intentional how I use Twitter. Yeah. So I don't just post pictures of cats as funny as that is. Occasionally I'll <laughs> show a picture of my son like making a nice basketball shot now and then. Yeah. 98% of it of is here's a helpful article Here's a little quick infographic, five reasons the resurrection yeah. is true. Here's a new resource, could be mine or usually it's somebody else's. Here's a quick book review, here's a conference yeah. coming up. Yeah. I don't wanna stuff. waste people's time. I yeah. spend a good amount of time reading articles and posting it yeah. to hopefully yeah. help people like you and others that just wanna be equipped in yeah. worldview apologetics yeah. and culture. So let's just, let's just wrap things up with what's, what, what do you think is the big I mean, there's more than one thing, obviously, but wh what do you feel right now for the church in relation to the world? What, what's the big issue that we're facing today? Is it like a postmodernist idea that there is nothing mm. that's true? Or, I mean, we've got, obviously, we've alluded to the same sex thing. We've got the transgender thing. It's all like a, like a tsunami of these kinds of things that are just rolling across the culture and into the church. Give us a word of wisdom on all of that stuff. Well, there's so many ways we can look at this mm -hmm. because racial issues are huge. I just yes. interviewed Miles McPherson, pastor yeah. of The Rock on my blog, and I read his book and was like, oh my word, yeah. this is one of the pressing yes. issues yeah. of our day. Huge issue. That's massive. And there's a ton of ignorance. You know, and I read his book, I'm like, man, I, I can do better on this. It yeah. was really convicting. Yeah. And So that's huge, that division, especially mm -hmm. in a culture that favors and values inclusion, mm -hmm. to feel like the church is not diverse and inclusive is huge. Yeah. I'd say issues like LGBTQ issues, mm -hmm. inescapable, what gender is, yeah. what marriage is. This generation is saturated in those ideas. Yeah. That's a massive issue. Yeah. Then there's political issues that come into play, like yeah. immigration. I mean, there's, it used to be in the past, like you could say, well, slavery is the big issue. Well, now there's just endless issues. Yeah. But I'm coming to think, especially for the church, I am more concerned that the church is bleeding followers and not teaching good theology and living it out mm -hmm. first. Yeah. And I think we've lost a sense of genuine biblical authority mm -hmm. within the church. Mm -hmm. I think that's at the heart of racial issues. Yeah. If we really believe what the scripture says about every tribe and nation and tongue yeah. and bearing our own responsibility, I think we'd have a more contrite spirit. Yeah. If we really believe what Jesus said yeah. about marriage, yeah and divorce, yeah. not just same-sex yeah. marriage. Yeah, yeah. If we really had that authority yeah. in our life, yeah. I think we'd live differently because we have yeah. lost moral authority yeah. in the church. Yeah, and we've lost- we've moral, In the we, culture, I mean. Yeah, we've lost moral authority because we've, we've inadvertently compromised in these certain areas. I think we have. And maybe not even knowing it. You know, like the race thing. I think, you know, most people, I mean, we're two white guys sitting here, you know, <laughs> we would say, we're not racist. I, I'm not a racist. I don't think you're a racist. But then, you know, this idea of systemic racism and all of that, you know, you can just sort of blow that off and say, oh, I don't believe that. I'm not a racist. I don't know anybody that's racist. But when you really get down and start looking at the bigger picture of the culture, you realize, no, there's some stuff here 
that's ingrained in our culture that that really works against these minority peoples. And if anybody should be sensitive to that and sensitive to them, it should start with us, right? I think that's right. Look, because we're the followers of Jesus. You see in Scripture what God consistently calls people to is repentance. Yeah. Stop pointing fingers. Yeah. Get your house in line first. So this is one of the things Miles writes in his book. He goes. Most people, like no one's gonna label themselves except a very few as racist. Yeah. He goes, could that resistance build up a wall and a lack of our willingness to say, okay, mm-hmm. have I treated somebody unfairly because of their skin color? Yeah. Have I had thoughts? Have I done things that yeah. are not right to a brother or sister? Yeah. And I'm reading this book going, okay, I'm not gonna point fingers. I'm gonna read this and think about my life. Yeah. And I start reflecting going, man, alive. I can do better. Yeah. And his whole point is, we only start to deal with this of racism when we stop saying, it's out there, yeah. it's everybody else's fault. And this yeah. is true for any issue. Sure. And we take an honest look inside yeah. and repent, ask God to forgive us, yeah. have a sense of humility about this yeah. without compromising scripture. Yeah. Then if more people just go, yeah, I'm part of the problem, how can I be part of the solution? Yeah then we start to see things change. And then as a result, I think the culture looks in and goes, wow, that's real reconciliation. Those are brothers and sisters. I want that. And that's what, I mean, we're the, we're, you know, we're a manifestation of the kingdom on earth. That's what people ought to see Hmm. kingdom life where there is love, there's diversity and unity you know, all of those things. The verse that comes to my mind as we're talking about this is that great passage in Micah. You know, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord Mm. requires of you to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mm. Let's do that. Amen. (laughs) And that'll take care of a ton of other things, right? Amen, I'm with you. Sean, thanks so much. You're welcome. Great having you on the program, my friend. Thanks for having me, Brian. God bless you. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's been great uh, to be with you. Hope you've enjoyed the program and we'll look forward to being again, uh, being together again next time. God bless. (laughs) 